Welcome to Nurture in Nature Radio. I'm your host, Tanya Maloney, and this is episode number 10 of the show. Today on the show, I interview a great fella by the name of Tim Guild. Tim is from the UK. He travels all around the world being a passionate advocate for children and childhood. And he's the founder of Rethinking Childhood, which is a UK-based organisation. He also does lots and lots of other great things, which you'll hear about in the interview. I won't go into them now because it'll spoil the surprise. So in this interview, Tim urges you to think about the kinds of freedoms and experiences you remember from your childhood. We talk about how allowing your kids to fulfil their need and want to test themselves help them assess risks, learn their capacities, gain confidence and become more resilient. We also talk about unstructured play and what a great play space looks like. We also discuss how to garner peer support from other parents and we look at the growing numbers of children who are anxious, depressed or out of control. You'll learn why it's vital that you expand your children's horizons by weighing up the risks and benefits of being a little less risk averse and a little more free range. Just yesterday, my family had a big family reunion celebration for my uncle's 70th birthday. Now we went out to the farm where my dad and his brothers and sisters grew up. We used to spend so much time there as kids ourselves and the freedom that we had just to run around and explore and climb trees, it was just incredible. And every time we go there to visit extended family, we always talk about the great times we had there as children. Now, yesterday we were, as I said, celebrating my uncle's 70th birthday. And my cousins and I, who were all around the same age, we were all standing around just reminiscing about the fun times we used to have there. And one of the things that we loved to do when we were there was go exploring and climbing on the big cypress hedge. Now we've all got children of our own. And yesterday we watched on as our children reenacted the joy and the learning and sometimes the scratches and scrapes that we got as kids climbing on the big cypress hedge. They were testing their skills, they were learning about fear and pushing their limits. They were helping each other and there was a lot of laughter and fun. And you know, as a parent, I am still absolutely paranoid that my kids are gonna fall off the hedge. But if we don't loosen the reins a little bit, then they miss out on all that fun and learning and those great times that we had as kids. So with that said, let's get right on in to my interview with Tim. Now, I apologize, the the audio is a little bit scratchy at times. Um, I'm in a rural area. Uh, with not great internet access and Tim um, all the way over the other side of the world in the UK when this was done. So at times it's a little bit scratchy. Please bear with it because he has some great things to share with you. So let's get into the interview. I hope you enjoy it. everyone, Tanya Maloney here and today I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Tim Gill. Tim is the founder of UK-based Rethinking Childhood, where he's a champion for positive change in children's lives. In addition to being an esteemed author and speaker and popular media authority, he is a highly sought-after consultant, government uh, departments, charities, corporates, educators, community groups and councils across the world on the subject of the changing nature of childhood, children's play and free time, and their evolving relationships with the people and places around them. Tim has been the Director and Policy and Publications Officer for the Children's Play Council in the UK, which is now known as Play England. And in 2000, 
2009, Edge Hill University awarded him an honorary doctorate for his outstanding contribution to improving children's lives through challenging our views of childhood in a no-risk culture. Also in 2009, to be the founding patron of the Forest School Association of the UK, which I'm sure he, uh, he took that position up with, with great excitement. And Tim lives in London with his partner and their young daughter, Rosa. So thank you, Tim, for being with me and welcome. Thank you, it's a pleasure. Excellent. Now you do so many great things in your work as you travel around the world, being a true champion for children uh, everywhere. Can you share with us why and how you got going and doing the great work that you do? Well, it's very nice of you to say that. Um, I'll let you in on a, a little secret that, that um, really I fell into this whole area um, about just, just around 20 years ago now. I was... Um, uh, really wanted to go back to study and to do a master's degree in psychology and philosophy and um, looking for a part-time job that I could do at the same time and th this job came up with this quirky outfit called the Children's Play Council and it sounded a bit interesting and, and there were some, some points of contact with, with master's degree so I gave it a go and to cut a long story short after two years um, I, I finished the degree but it was the job that got under my skin. I just found the whole issue of, of Lives are changing, and children's opportunity for play and um, to kind of expand their horizons was 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 really engaging. And then um, a couple of years later, my daughter arrived in 1998, and that that kind of sharpened the issues as well. And um, to be honest, I've just found it endlessly fascinating since then. Excellent, and lots of lots of playtime and teaching people how to play again. I imagine. <laughs> I hope so. Absolutely. Um, and one of the things. Um, I've been asking those I've been really privileged to chat to, to chat to as part of this interview series, which is which has been quite amazing. Is what are the what is the one question that parents ask you the most? And one of the things that I like about what you do is, um, and I think it's worth discussing here, is what questions you ask parents to consider uh, when you um, speak with them. So what are those questions, and and you know how can we maybe you know consider the answers? Sure. Well, I, I think one thing that I should say right at the start is that, is that most of my work focuses on, you know, organisations and governments and um, service providers and, and not, not on parents. I don't consider myself to be a sort of parenting guru. I'm, in a nutshell, trying to get other people to make it easier for parents to allow their kids to have a bit more freedom. Um, but of course, I do have some broad messages for parents, and I, and I need parents to care about what I care about yes. because if parents don't care about these issues, then frankly, nobody will. Um, so I, I guess there are sort of a, a couple of things. I, I'm very keen on engaging adults on the topic of their own childhoods and the kind of freedoms and the kind of experiences they remember and that are resonant to them from their own childhoods. And I think that's a great place to start when we're thinking about children's lives today. I, I also encourage parents to, to recognise, you know, that childhood is a journey. And it's a journey where children begin that journey completely helpless and dependent. But, you know, as they grow up, they eventually become hopefully confident, capable, resourceful um, people. And so... If we're going to help children on that journey, we need to 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 be to to figure out how to give them more freedom and more responsibility. Um, and so that idea of inviting parents and other adults to think about how children gain competence and confidence is is something that that I, I find myself talking uh, talking to parents a lot about. Excellent. And we, it is interesting when we look back to our own childhood. I was a pretty free-range kid out on the farm, so, and I, you know, and I want that for my own children as well. So, uh, very, um, yeah, absolutely. very good. You know, I think most parents, most parents want their kids to grow up to be, you know, confident, capable, resourceful um, people. You know, who 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 are able to deal with 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 everyday challenges in life and. And I, I think reminding parents of that um, that goal, I think, is very helpful. Yeah, excellent. And it, it, I guess that um, 
there's a there's a quote that you that you like to use from a Danish landscape architect that might apply to that. And um, her name is Hele. Let me hopefully I get it right. Hele Nebelong. That's right. Uh, yes. That standardised play equipment is dangerous. And this is where she says, um, and let me read it. Uh, when the distance between all the rungs on the climbing net or the ladder is exactly the same, the child has no need to concentrate on where he puts his feet. This lesson cannot be carried over into all the knobbly and asymmetrical forms with which one is confronted throughout life. So I imagine she was talking predominantly there about play equipment, but I think, uh, and, and I'm, uh, I guess I'll ask if you, you know, what your thoughts on this. Do you think we can apply that same, you know, asymmetrical and knobbly uh, theory to life as parents and educators? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, the, one of the reasons I like that quote so much is because um, you're right, she, she is a playground designer and, and that's, that's her starting point. But, but I, I'm sure she meant it much more widely and I certainly use that. Uh, that idea of, of how can we help children learn how to deal with the ups and downs of life, you know, with those challenges that are eventually going to come along and you know in an uncertain world they'll come along quite often and what Hele is telling us is that is that by trying to eliminate all of those um, you know all of the grit all of the challenges um, we deprive children of the very kinds of experiences that they need to have if they're going to learn how to be competent, resilient, responsible people. You can't, you, you, you can't program children like a sat-nav um, no. and give them all of the answers that they're going to need if they're going to make their way in life. You, you know, we human beings are nature's most uh, efficient learning machines. The reason we're the most dominant species on the planet, it's not because we've you know, some recipe or manual that's been programmed into us. It's because we learn like no other animal, like no other species. And much of that learning happens simply through our own experiences. And, um, and, and, and it, you know, we know from brain studies that the, the time when Homo sapiens learns the most is during the first 5, 10, 15 years of life. Yep. You just have to look at, you know, I know your your little girl is, is relatively young and my two are pretty young as well and they learn every day and they learn predominantly through play, don't they? Absolutely. And and um, play play is, there's a, 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 a politician here in the UK who talked about um, uh, Lloyd George from, from back in the 20s who talked about play being nature's training for life. And I think that's a really nice encapsulation of why free play is so important in children's lives. Yep, absolutely. And and so what happens if we try and stifle their play? What happens when we, you know, when we as adults maybe fear or micromanage them or, you know, hover over them? What happens when, when you know, to their growth and development do that? I, I think what, what the risk is that, that if children are never given any opportunity to, to, to feel what it's like to be active, uh, to, to kind of follow their own interests, uh, to get a sense of their own agency, you know, to, to, to have a go at climbing that tree somebody's told them to, but because they just want to and they want to figure it out for themselves. If they never have those sorts of exploratory, uh, uh, playful experiences, then they, 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 they are at risk of a kind of learned helplessness, you know, that they're always growing up looking for somebody else to tell them what to do or to tell them how to figure something out or to, to, to make things better or to, to find the solution. And so uh, it, it's only if children have some space and time in their lives where to all intents and purposes they are in control and they're calling the shots. And, and I think that, that, that has to start happening very young and it has to be regular and meaningful in children's lives and go right the way through childhood. And, and, and quite simply, it's, it's, it's almost like a, like a muscle. If children don't get the chance to use that, that sort of competence muscle, uh, that sense of their own, psychologists talk about self-efficacy. Yeah. 
um, a sense that I am somebody who can get out there and do things in the world. And if children don't have the chance to get that feeling, then as they grow up, they're going to struggle to, to have that kind of confident, um, resilient stance. And it helps kids when they fall too. It helps them if they make mistakes, doesn't it? It helps them learn and grow. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think it wasn't so long ago that parents would quite often be saying to their children, you know, that'll teach you. Um, and, and it sounds a bit callous now, but actually uh, it's <laughs> learning from our mistakes is, is incredibly powerful. Um, and... Uh, when I was uh, in Australia last month, I spent some time with, with another landscape architect, a guy called Adam Bienenstock, and, um, who may be um, uh, certainly, um, I think, Gillian um, uh, at, at Bull Park has come across. And um, Adam talks about the difference between a learning injury and a catastrophic injury. And I think that's a really helpful distinction. Uh, you know, uh, of course, you know, it's not nice when children hurt themselves, uh, you know, it, it, and our emotional response as adults is to try and make things better, and that's understandable. But, you know, with a, with a little bit of distance, I think we can all realise that, that exactly as you say, children can learn a lot from, from those mistakes, and uh, they're far from being you know, bad things, um, most of the time when children get things wrong and when they hurt themselves or when they get upset, uh, it's all part of that kind of rich tapestry of learning that goes on through childhood. Yep, absolutely. It's almost a, a rite of passage to fall off the monkey bars, isn't it? Or it used to be when we were kids. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. So, Tim, just going back to playgrounds and in a, indeed our own backyards as well, what does a great playground or backyard for kids look like? And conversely, what maybe isn't such a great one well i'm i make no apologies for being a fan of uh naturalistic play spaces i think there's something about allowing children the chance to 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 get dirty to to you know look for bugs to um hide behind bushes climb trees um and, and up from so for me a great play space is what is one that has got a natural feel um and and I think, in particular, where kids have the chance to make stuff and destroy stuff, you know, what, what, what play workers call loose parts or loose materials. Um, you know, the sandpit, you know, it, there's a reason why um, sandpits, you know, have, are, are so such an emblem of playgrounds. It's because they, you know, a good sandpit with, with nice wet sand that kids can can build and destroy things with is, is, is terrific. And, and I think the other thing that I'd, I'd look for uh, is opportunities for children to test themselves, you know, to, to, to have challenging play experiences, uh, to figure out their boundaries, to, you know, climb a bit higher. So in a nutshell, you know, uh, managed risk. I think that's really important in the playground as well. One more last thing, in, in a public playground, it's really important to have places where the grown-ups can feel comfortable, even if it's just, you know, places around and about where, where we can kind of, you know, park our backsides um, and, uh, you know, uh, if we don't want to get involved and we want to let the kids play. Yeah, excellent. And and have you seen great playgrounds where, you know, I know, I know I've seen playgrounds over here where there's a there's that plastic fantastic element to them, but they're also perhaps beside and more natural play space. And quite often we, we go to those. There's, there's one in Port Ferry um, near where I live and there's trees all along the side and it's like a little magic forest in there and, and my kids and, and their cousins and all the other kids will sort of play on the plastic stuff for a little while and then they're off into the forest and exploring. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think, um, you know, where you have playgrounds that are maybe built in a wooded area or next door to some woodland or, or, or by a beach is a great example. You know, the kids might spend five minutes running up and down the slides or swinging on the swings, but they're soon off into the woods or you know, playing in the sand or in the rocks by the beach. And actually, a beach is a is a, a great example of a of, of a kind of you know a natural playground in the broadest sense. And, and and yet, you know, there's no equipment at all. Yeah, biggest sandpit in the world. Yep. Now, going back to nature, and would you share with us some simple ways that you've seen nature be a really powerful ally in your life as a parent and with your daughter particularly? Well. 
you know, we live in a really hectic, um, you know, technological world, uh, and our children are immersed in that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the thing that, that natural environments offer is a kind of place, uh, places that, that allow us to, 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 to find a place of calm, um, to, you know, to, to restore our emotional well-being, um, to kind of um, moderate the stresses and strains of, of the rest of our lives. And I think there's clear evidence that children respond to that as well. And, and I've seen it in my own daughter, um, you know, who is, who's now 15 and, and loves her gadgets, but, but also, you know, values uh, some time and space away from them. I, and I remember a couple of years ago, some friends of ours came to stay, um, stay with us and, and they had two quite young kids, sort of four and six years old, and they were, they traveled a long way, the kids were stressed out, they were arguing and bouncing around inside the house. So we just went out for a walk near where we live, went out picking blackberries, and the, the, the stresses vanished. The kids uh, just became really engaged in, you know, that very simple but, but really impleasurable um, in, in act. And the mum, who was a teacher herself, just just w- was really struck by the the change in the mood with the kids uh, when we took them outdoors. Yeah, beautiful. It's um, it's lovely, isn't it? That that nature can be just a parents one of the parents' greatest allies. I think in getting the getting what Marty Erickson calls getting the wild out. Yes, and I think w- what we need to do is is you know as as parents, but also you know, educators, wider society, politicians, is figure out how we can make it easier for families to to spend time in nature, to get that kind of everyday nature um, that I think is most important. Yep, absolutely. And you have seen some great uh, examples of that around the world. And I know you were here in Australia recently, and I read a blog post of yours prompted by that trip. And it was entitled In Praise of the Emerging Aussie Free Range Childhood Movement, which is wonderful. And, and you know, I was smiling when I was reading that, had a few goosebumps. And the tributes and examples you shared there were really fantastic of some of the things that are happening here. So would you share with us some examples of those and um, so that we can be inspired by some of those great initiatives? Well, I know... I, I, I... It's it's hard to know where to start, but but, but you know the parents who were telling me about, um, you know they they were keen to support their uh, seven year old uh, boy in one case who was travelling to school um, every day on the um, on the trams in Melbourne, and it was a really big thing for him, and and a, a kind of marked a milestone for him in his sort of sense of his own independence and his own confidence, and 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 the parents were both very supportive of that. Um, I heard about. Um, in uh, out-of-school hours care services that would, were really trying to give kids great adventurous play opportunities. There was, there was one setting that told me about how you know they used they had regular wheels, what they call wheels days, which is where the kids can bring in bikes and scooters to play on um, for the session. And you know, for the first time in ten years, one of the settings had uh, a child sadly fell off and, and broke an arm. Mm-hmm. Now the parents. Were pretty upset about it, um, parents of the child, and, and wanted and said, right, wheels days are too dangerous. We have to stop wheels days. But the setting actually took the time to think about it, wasn't so sure, and asked the parents as a whole, surveyed the parents. Over 90% of the parents said, you know what, we want to carry on having wheels days. Um, you know, I heard examples of, of an early years centre where um, that again, there'd been uh, an accident with a child who broke a finger, and it, of course, it's when when these accidents happen that's when you really have the acid test. Yes. How strong is your commitment? Um, and in that case, you know, the parents again were upset, but the setting was really clear. The that it was an accident um, around the use of some rocks in the outdoor space, and that they were the the setting and the educators were really clear about the value all of the imaginative play that was going on with those rocks. And, of course, you know, there are rocks in life. There are heavy objects that do damage to children. But guess what? 99.9% of the time the kids make a complete recovery. Um, And so let's not uh, get preoccupied with with what I call the zero-risk mindset. And, And my blog post is really trying to gather together a whole set of anecdotes and initiatives that, that collectively were a strong 
movement away from this zero risk approach. And, and I just feel I, I felt I had to, to kind of honour and, and validate all of those uh, great initiatives. Yeah, well, I enjoyed reading them and, and uh, inspired me to no end, so I'm sure they will other people as well. Um, now, can you tell us about some other really great initiatives that you've seen on your travels? I know you've just been uh, in Iceland and in Denmark and all over the place, but there's something in the UK that is called Playing Out, and it, it's really fantastic. Could you explain a bit about what they do? Yes, Playing Out is beautifully simple. I, I've been working in, in, in you know, trying to expand children's horizons for nearly 20 years and I think it's the best idea I've come across by far and it's simply local residents, parents in particular, getting together, organising organizing short term, maybe for a couple of hours a week, road closures, so stopping the traffic, it's not because it's, you know, um, Australia Day or, or Christmas, but simply so the kids in the neighbourhood in the street that, that live in the street can come out and play and What's amazing is that guess what they do come out and play, and and, and the, the you know so so the street becomes a social space. Ch children of different ages, adults, friends, neighbours, parents, sharing the street, enjoying that space, and particularly the kind of social interactions and rebuilding that sense of community as well as getting the kids out of doors and just. You know, it just happens really simply if you just manage um, to, to control the traffic for a couple of hours a week. And so, so it's a very practical, it's practically cost-free, but it also starts to open up possibilities. It, it starts to get us to maybe think about how we could um, take more steps to make our neighbourhoods more child-friendly, maybe get a better balance between the needs of the car driver um, and the needs of you know children and families. So uh, it's really encouraging to me to see that the playing out, which started sort of three or four years ago in Bristol here in England, is um, spreading not only throughout the rest of England, but is actually you know going around the world. And I even heard about a playing out session that was happening uh, in Perth in Western Australia just before I arrived. Excellent. That would have been lots of fun, I imagine. So hopefully we can see more of those around. And and that it's really. Those things are really about building communities as well. So they're, you know, you get to know your neighbours, and I imagine some of those people in those streets had no idea there was that many kids in the, in their own street that they lived in. And that's absolutely right. I think you know, children today, uh, you know, we often hear them being hear them being called couch potatoes, but but perhaps a better term is couch prisoners. Um, and. Uh, you know, it's, it, I don't just blame parents. Uh, uh, this is a, a social problem. It's a wider problem about the way that, um, you know, in, in many neighbourhoods, uh, when parents and children look out their front doors, they don't see a very inviting place. Um, you know, and and uh, there are all sorts of reasons for that. But, but I think if we can rekindle that idea of um, shared places, including streets where uh, kids of different ages can go out and, and, and we also need to remember that for children the thing that they want most out of their free time as particularly you know middle years children children age five six seven eight nine ten years old yeah. is other children yeah. just you know they want to be out playing socializing having fun with their mates and they want to be able to do that regularly and easily and and that's why I think it's, it's the neighborhood and you know, as part of the neighbourhood, the streets and the pavements that can can start to uh, allow that to happen more easily in, in the everyday lives of families. Yep, and spread that out across uh, a little bit wider than our own streets as well, I think, is, is nice to our local playgrounds and our local parks and, and things like that as well. Yep. So. Exactly. Excellent. Um, now, we, we talked before about micromanaging our kids or hovering over them. So can you give us some examples of how we might loosen the leash on that? Well, I'm not, I don't consider myself to be a sort of parenting guru. So, so I, I, one of my views is that, you know, I do think that, that, that there are quite a lot of people telling parents how to do their job. I think that actually kind of undermines parental confidence. So I, d I don't want to start, and you know, <laughs> stepping in. Uh, parents know their kids best. Um, but I guess what I would say is, is, firstly, you know, we all, I think, need to remind ourselves of that journey of childhood and that the journey from, from being dependent 
through to hopefully you know independence and confidence and um, and resilience and that we help children make that journey best by gradually allowing them to take more responsibility for themselves so so the idea of kind of next steps and always as a parent looking for opportunities to allow your kids to spread their wings a little bit more um, not forcing them because that the most important thing is that children make that journey you know in a way that feels comfortable for them so it's a balancing act it's not overprotecting and and restricting children's freedom but also uh, not you know pushing children too hard in directions that they don't want to go uh, and and so it might be um, as simple as you know creating some regular space and time uh, in a week where where your kid can spend time with other kids just in a local park or green space, um, uh, but making sure that that, that that there are other kids there because it's pretty boring if you're a child and you're the only one there, and it's quite hard for parents as well. I think you know there's this this sort of um, push for parents to be their children's playmates these days and you know if you're not spending quality time playing with your kid then you're somehow being a bad parent you know what i'm not sold on that i i think that that the kids want to play with kids um and parents the, the most important job for parents for me in terms of children's free time is is to create those opportunities for children to be with other children i'm not saying that parents should have no interest and should never play with their kids but but always, for me, it was about, you know, with my own daughter, looking for ways that, that I could create opportunities for her to be with her friends in the outdoors. And that was where, you know, the, the, her best play experiences happened. And as parents, we get to see, um, you know, we get to see those beautiful smiles and the laughter and, and just watch our kids and how they interact with, our, with other kids too. I think that's really nice to see as a parent. and. Know, to, to see from a little bit of a distance and see how they cope with the ups and downs and who's going to, you know, bat in cricket and, and <laughs> whose turn it is well, on the slide. Yeah, letting kids kind of figure out their own rules and solve their own um, disputes and, of course, not, not, not completely, um, you know, chaos, but, no. but, but stepping in when we're needed uh, not at the first sign of any problem. Uh, you know, I, I do think it, it, it's really, you know, the kind of, play the kind of free time that many of us can remember from our own childhoods and I make no apology for saying you know I, I think that's a value and the children children uh, today need something like those sorts of opportunities to have a little bit of a taste of freedom and, and I talk a lot about the value of you know peripheral vision of grown-ups just keeping a bit of a weather eye out of what's going on um, another favorite phrase of mine is is benign neglect you know the idea of just just allowing children to uh, step into their own sense of responsibility um, even if you know sometimes things don't go exactly according to plan and that's um that's uh, in my interview with dr tim jordan actually and we touched on this before as well but tim and i spoke about something called he called grit uh, and how many children today seem to be missing that opportunity to develop this quality as they grow up and and when I think about grit to me it really epitomizes someone who can you know um, who when challenges arise as we said can pick themselves up dust themselves off and get back on the horse and you know then get learn to get along uh, in society and in and with others as well so can you share with us some ways we can help our children to develop that grit and and those qualities of resilience and persistence and perseverance that are so important yeah um and i think it's a nice phrase and and it's what's at the heart of, of helping kids to be resilient and responsible is trusting them and and learning how and to what extent we can trust them to take responsibility for themselves um and 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 for instance you know um one of the things that it's really important for, for people to learn as they grow up is what do we do when we start to feel outside our comfort zone, when we're in a situation where we don't feel safe, you know, we're, 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 and, and figuring out those points, you know, those, those um, moments where we think, whoa, you know, I want to get out of here. Mm. Um, sensing the boundaries of our own risk thermostat. Yes, we, we all have different risk thermostat settings. Some of us are, uh, are, are you know, we'll just think nothing of climbing to the top of the tree others will be nervous about that first step that's fine there's no right or wrong 
place on that spectrum, but we all need to know what it feels like to be on the edge of our comfort zone and how to get out of an unsafe situation. And we only do that from the inside. No one else can tell us when we've reached the edge of our comfort zone. No one else can tell us you know, um, what it feels like and, and when we reach that point and what we do about it. So it does come down to trusting children and giving them the space and time to feel what it's like to be adventurous and to take responsibility from the inside and allowing them the chance to learn from their self-directed experiences including their mistakes of course we don't want the mistakes to be disastrous but it would be impossible for kids to for for anyone to learn those sorts of, of risk management emotional literacy responsibility while someone else is managing everything that they do it just won't happen absolutely and it's uh it's very interesting to see how your children rea- react to those things and of course we can be there to support them but as you said um not tell them how they're feeling because i think that one of the things that kids today that i notice is that they are very tempered in their emotions maybe and they're not understanding their emotions or not being able to express their emotions and that's really important isn't it um, it's it's crucial, and, and we only know we only learn how to manage and and kind of deal with our own anger by getting angry. <laughs> um, you know, we get angry, we get angry, and we learn how to deal with that anger. Now, uh, if if a child is not ever allowed to get angry, then how can we expect them to figure out how to regulate um, their own you know anger? And the same goes for you know fear. Um, and, and, and sort of joy as well and, and um, in fact there's some research now that shows that this um, in the emotional regulation is one of the central things that's going on when children play. When we see kids playing it looks like they're maybe being physical or creative or whatever but if you scratch beneath that what you often see is children exploring their own emotions and um, and learning what it's like to get angry or to get out of control. Um, and, and over time, of course, um, figuring out how to deal with, you know, the, the, the kind of uh, sometimes the turbulence of our own emotional lives. Yeah, and understand that a two-year-old, uh, a two-year-old ten- temper tantrum is not going to go on forever, hopefully for us <laughs> as parents. Yes, indeed. Just they're, they're trying to work it out. So, excellent. And I imagine you talked about the resilience and the persistence and, and the emotional learning when you were over here in Australia recently as well. And you went across to Perth um, to a wonderful school called Bold Park Community School where you did some work with the beautiful Maggie Dent and Claire Warden and Jill McAuliffe and, and many others over there. So can you share with us some of the things that you did there and maybe what we could learn from that? Yeah, um, uh, Bowl Park uh, is it's it's an extraordinary school, and and at the at the heart of I suppose the the, the their approach is is the idea of of, of of creating learning opportunities for for, for the child, to, you know, to learn in, to learn about all of the things that are going to prepare them for for life as as a uh, to use their words, you know, a resilient and responsible person. Um, so so uh, when I was over, we we the conference was talking about the three R's for the 21st century, um, you know, risk, resilience, and responsibility. Um, and, and, and respect was in there as well. And, and how, how do we, what, what Bold Park shows us is that the way that you allow children to, to, to be responsible, to be resilient, and to have respect for each other is to trust them, is to allow them the chance to, to shape their own learning uh, and to, um, you know, discover what they're like as people, to see the world from other people's point of view, to, um, to, to interact on their own terms. That, that, that it's, it's actually fairly, um, you know, it's a long tradition in, in, in educational thinking about the value of, of, of child-directed, um, you know, um, child-initiated learning. But, but creating environments that, that allow that to happen, but also where the adults, you know, are, are keeping an eye out and stepping in and facilitating that process. And, um, and it's, a, it's a strong reaction to the 
you know, conventional approach in a lot of education systems around the world, which is to narrow down the educational focus and just look at, you know, the formal curriculum, reading, writing, facts, um, and to ignore all of those wider, um, higher order skills um, that, that actually, when you look at the statistics and when you look at the studies, it's those higher order skills that are most important um, for children uh, as they grow up to have a, you know, a successful and a meaningful life. Yeah, and the reading and writing and, and you know academic skills obviously are important, but they're they're really tools, aren't they, to um, help kids express themselves and, and learn and you know get along in the world. That's right. Well, they're part of the picture, and 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 uh, you know I want my daughter to be able to you know to to, to be literate and numerate um, and to, to to understand some facts about about the world around her. But I also want her to uh, you know to to feel engaged and interested in what's going around her, to be curious, uh, to be uh, respectful of, of other people, to be able to deal with, with um, you know, the kind of ups and downs of life. And, and I think it's what Bold Park shows us is, is that you can do both of these things. You can help children learn um, the, the formal curriculum and help them, you know, make make a strong start in that wider journey through life and I think that's you know that that's admirable and we need places like Bold Park um, to, to show us you know uh, uh, what a rounded education system might look like. Yep absolutely and that they do such a great job over there I'm very much looking forward to one day getting over there and visiting Gillian and her team and seeing some of the great stuff that they do in person so looking forward to that. Um, do you think it's particularly different, difficult for younger parents uh, to give their kids some freedom to roam and to play more free-range because they haven't had the experience themselves of that more free-range childhood that you know parents of our generation maybe have? Yes, I think that is that is true. It, uh, I, I, and certainly, people who who you know work day to day with parents uh, are telling me that, and and and, I, and that's not surprising. But also, I think. And that can seem like quite a pessimistic, a bit of a depressing picture. But I think um, it does put the onus on on those of us who care about expanding children's horizons to to, to you know to think about the generation that will follow these parents and try and make sure that you know we 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 we, we open up the. The, the lives of, of, of today's kids and of course we need to win over parents in doing that but my experience is that is that even you know parents who maybe have had a, a more restricted childhood they they understand the basic idea and the basic value of of, of um, giving children a bit of freedom and you know of course everyone wants their child to grow up to be confident and capable mm. so I think um, I, it's a challenge when you when you're working with with you know groups of parents um, that you know where some of the parents really are um, quite anxious and have, have maybe had overprotected childhoods themselves. But I'm I'm actually more optimistic about that maybe than I used to be five years ago because I can see that um, there's there's real positive change going on. There's change going on in, in the education system. I think there are growing numbers of parents of all ages. No matter what their own background, who are um, reacting against this this overprotective climate, and so you know, I guess what I'm thinking is that yes, there might be a cohort of parents who are growing up and getting older who maybe are a bit more overprotective as a as a generalisation, but that you know we're beginning to turn that around um, because the, you know the bottom line is that that we're all beginning to realise that we don't help children um, if we starve them of the experiences that actually help them to grow up to be you know, capable and um, engaged and happy people. Yeah, excellent. And just just the, in empowering those people and, you know, empowering us as well as older generation parents, I guess, or, or previous generation parents, but empowering young people with simple strategies and steps and, and things like playing out that are really easy to do, um, to be able to encourage that. Yes, because I think when people see what happens when we give children a bit of freedom uh, and we allow them to uh, take a bit of responsibility for themselves and they see the learning that happens and they also see how children just kind of they fill up. They, they, um, 
you know, they, they, they almost literally stand taller. Um, that when we see that, I think, I think everybody gets it. Yep, absolutely. And just um, on working with parents, and it's come up in the last, I guess the last couple of weeks as I've been talking to people and, and, and engaging with um, different people over here in Australia particularly, is the challenge to, um, there's often, I've, what I've been hearing is there's a challenge to engage parents in, say, proactive programs that help their children you know, help them raise their children or or give them support in raising their children. And um, I spoke to a lady at, at council today, I guess, in my area, and she said, you know, if you, you may have these great parents, uh, these great programs, there was, there's a triple P over here, which is a, a great program. Um, and sometimes I think that, you know, if you call something a parenting program, it doesn't quite go down too well, because as you said before, you don't want, there's so many people telling us what to do that you just switch off sometimes um, but she said that she had real trouble trying to engage parents in the local community to attend these sorts of programs even though they're inherently valuable well yes it it, it doesn't surprise me and I think um, I, I mean I think there are some people out there doing great work with with parents but I do think we have to face up this wider um, cultural problem you know that that um, the parents have a lot of people Telling them how to do their job, and yes. um, and particularly that that idea that there are sort of experts out there, and you know we see them on the television in in, in the UK. We have this program called Super Nanny. Um, yes. I don't know if you have it in Australia, but, yeah, we but get, you know, we get Super Nanny over here. Yeah, and, and and Super Nanny has all the answers and always knows exactly what to do, and the parents, you know. Uh, have the finger waved at them and everything's magical and wonderful. Well, guess what? It isn't really like that. Um, and more importantly, I think um, parents, what we need to do is figure out ways that, 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 that we can help parents feel more solidarity and more um, support from other parents and change the culture of, of, um, of parenting rather than having, I mean, Sometimes targeted programs are important, and, in, yes. and maybe in some communities that they can be effective. But I am more interested in, in if you like, reframing the whole conversation around what being a good parent looks like, um, and keeping it simple, uh, and, um, and and challenging some of the the really obvious problems with the current culture, the, the current parenting culture, that parenting norm that says being a good parent means being a controlling parent. It really you know, it should be obvious to all parents that, that that way is the way to a frightened and um, ill-prepared person. You know, children who are, who are overprotected are eventually going to have to make their way in the wider world. And it's not... So I don't think you need parenting programs to show that. No. I think you need to, to, um, to, to have uh, uh, ways that parents who are on that road who know the value of giving freedom to their kids having though having constructive a celebration of those approaches and bringing these different voices into you know media debates um education and learning and and moving away from the idea of kind of demonizing parents and seeing them as sort of a bit like sense kind of sending them back to school I know it's hard. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I I, I do worry about this sort of t trend to see almost to kind of want to bring parents back to school, if you like. I'm not sure that's going to be, apart from anything else, I'm not sure we'll ever have enough time or money to reach all the parents we need to. So we've got to figure out some different ways of doing it. Yeah, and it sounds good to me, <laughs> absolutely. And I think one of the one of the great ways to do that and get parents together and supporting each other and seeing their kids grow is is um, I know they're happening all over the world now. Is is things like family nature clubs and just getting out in groups with families, and so parents can have that parental support, you know, that parental peer group support, and and also create that community and and get their kids outside playing at the same time I think yes I think that's right I'm a great believer in in, in just parents you know um, gaining you know getting support and contact from other parents who share their views um, and, um, and and making sort of you know just little changes in their 
you know, the, the routines of their week and, and creating some space and time, um, as you say, to kind of go out into nature or to go to local parks, um, you know, and, and, um, and, and also, you know, getting away from uh, this idea of, of the, you know, parenting is hard enough as it is. So I, I, I'm really cautious of, of being someone who comes on and dumps another lot of problems, you know, that as well as worrying about, you know, your diet and clothing and technology, then you also have to worry about, you know, playing with your kid in the park. Um, when actually, if, if you can set some routines up with other parents and actually start to share some of those um, uh, routines, then everybody wins. You know, the kids have a better time because they're spending time with other kids and the parents don't get so stressed and don't feel that there's so much pressure on them as individuals. It's, you know, practical collective action by parents can be very powerful. Yeah, excellent. Now, so Tim, I'd love it if we could talk for a moment about bullying. And I know you have an interesting perspective on this and it's something that parents these days are particularly concerned about. Um, in firstly, not wanting their children to be bullied and certainly they're not wanting their children to be uh, act that way towards other kids. So would you share what your thoughts are on this and how we can support our children in these sorts of situations? Sure. So... Um I want to be clear about one thing to start with, and that's bullying is a serious problem, uh, and w we need to tackle it effectively. And I am not one of these people who says that you know bullying is just something that kids have to learn how to deal with. What I am saying is that uh, what's happening these days is that we're blurring the boundaries between bullying on the one hand, which is sustained and which is repeated and involves a power imbalance between the victim and the perpetrator. We're blowing a boundary between that on the one hand and more minor arguments, spats, fights and fallings out between children on the other, um, which, um, you know, is really part and parcel of childhood and, and actually quite, those are quite important experiences. Children are not always nice to each other. People are not always nice to each other. And one of the things that we need to learn as we grow up is how to deal with tricky social situations and if we um, label every falling out or spat or fight between children as bullying and then we adults step in at the first sign of those um, difficulties and try and sort things out for the kids ourselves then the ch our children never get the chance to learn for themselves how to deal with socially challenging situations so so if we if we over diagnose bullying and we step in too quickly, we starve children of the very experiences that will actually help them as they grow up to learn how to deal with tricky social situations. Um, and I've seen that happening, and educators and uh, you know, uh, people tell me that, that, that this, this sort of what you might call a kind of zero-tolerance climate of bullying mm. is actually leading to... Um, a lot of pressure on educators to step in too soon um, and of course the, the the other problem with that is that is if educators are spending all of their time sorting out minor you know arguments and fallings out then we risk missing out on or, and failing to deal with the more serious real bullying that we know is what really causes problems now it's not always easy to make that line to, to distinguish between everyday childhood arguments and more serious bullying. But I think we have to make that distinction and we have to be ready to allow ourselves to watch social situations unfold and you know see how children cope with dealing with you know differences of view, with conflicts, with um, um, you know, sharing or taking turns. And and so for me, you know, phrases like see if you can sort it out for yourselves are helpful. They're not the end of the story, um, but they should be, I think, uh, the kind of response we should be uh, uh, starting with when we're trying to help children learn a social life and, and be confident social people. So that so we can grow, have them grow up to be adults who can cope with with difficult situations, really, isn't it? And that, that's what we're trying to do: is build their resilience and build their, I guess, you know, the way they cope, their coping mechanisms.
Yeah, absolutely. And and um, you know there is growing evidence that 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 as children enter adolescence now, as they as they you know, and, and of course eventually they they will spread their wings, that growing numbers of children are struggling. They are either becoming you know anxious and depressed, or they're becoming you know a bit out of control. And and for me, that's exactly what you'd expect if you have a a, a, a group of people who are you know as younger children not allowed to or not given the opportunity to to get out there and, and, and learn how to find their way around the social world then of course when eventually they have to start spreading their wings um, there you you can predict that there'll be growing numbers who are struggling and that is what we're seeing in in, in certainly in the UK and in the US yeah, absolutely and if there is a bullying situation that actually escalates and that is as you said before ongoing and, and becoming a real problem what are some ways we can help our kids um, navigate well I'm I, I, sure I mean I, I wouldn't claim to be an expert on 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 dealing with with serious bullying my point is really more about you know let's make sure we we allow children you know a, a bit of space and time and freedom to learn the everyday you know, uh, art of of finding our way through a you know through a social world where everybody's not nice to each other all the time. Um, I think I think tackling serious bullying is 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 something that that you know I'm happy to let others have a view on. But but my key point is let's you know in, in, it's it's about not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yes. Let's let's not be so hypersensitive to you know. Um, difficulties that the social difficulties that children face that we step in far too soon and um and mess up children's um social learning that that's my focus yeah absolutely and 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 some great advice there as well um now tim another thing that uh, parents are concerned about and you know it's pretty obvious in today's technological world um and when it comes to technology getting the balance right is so important so how can we approach getting that balance right so that there's a healthy balance between that screen time and you know maybe green time as we like to call it getting outside sure. i think that's balance is the right word um and you know i i think technology is as much a symptom of the loss of childhood freedoms as it is a cause in other words you know children like technology because it's engaging because often they have the chance to be creative um to be engaged maybe to meet their friends in the virtual world um if they can't meet them in the real world so technology has come in and filled the void it's filled the space that's been left by um the the the, the you know the, the the real world experiences that kids used to have and and i think still need um and and I also strongly believe that that it's it's real world experiences that are primary. In you know, it, I'm not worried too much about kids spending time on technology using screens as long as they also, particularly younger kids, have just a lot of immersive everyday experiences with the four dimensional world that we live in, um, and in, in green spaces, uh, you know, anywhere and everywhere. So I think. Um, yes, balance. Let's not be um, phobic about technology. Technology is here to stay, and there is some, some you know, some engaging uh, gadgets and software and apps out there these days. Um, but let's remember that that it, you know, if we want, for instance, kids to, to understand the, the 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 diversity and the richness and the complexity of nature, then the really they will get that best. By getting their hands dirty, by looking for bugs, um, you know, by exploring natural green spaces, and they'll they'll understand and get under the skin of nature far more through those real world experiences than through any number of um, documentary programs or nature apps. Um, so uh, that's I think um, uh, you know uh, let's not be afraid of technology. We can use technology, but real world experiences primary especially for younger children yeah absolutely and, and once they get out there they know that it's much more fun in the real world anyway most of the time well if we take the time to ask children yeah. how they would like to spend their free time as i have done you know with five to eleven year old children you're absolutely right that, that they're yes they spend a lot of time on screens but if we ask them what would they like to do more 
they say get outside and play with their friends and, we, and and so our challenge is to figure out how to 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 make that easier and more attractive for children and easier for families yeah, and lead the way just make it a habit in in our everyday lives so that's great excellent um so do you is there one question tim that either parents or p- people in the community or the the change makers that you speak to is there one question or comment that they make the most do you think I guess a lot of people parents educators and others you know want want, want to talk to me about risk and you know uh, different question you know how can we be less overprotective how can we be less risk averse um, those sorts of topics and and, um, and you know my answer is is, is is a word we've used a lot. Uh, in this interview is balance it's it's weighing up risks and benefits and recognizing the benefits of allowing children a chance to to deal with this you know unpredictable sometimes crazy but always you know engaging and stimulating world that we live in and and i hope it's it's that uh, that when people listen to me um that that message about balance and about the value of everyday freedoms is is what they take away and I imagine that uh, that's one of your greatest pieces of advice that you could give to people. But is there anything else that we may have missed that you'd like to uh, stress an important point? Um, only again, another thing that I've mentioned a lot, which, which is which is encouraging adults to, to, to remind themselves of the kind of childhoods that, that many of us had. Certainly, you know, those of us over the age of about 30 and uh, can, you know, vividly remember the the uh, the freedoms we we enjoyed as children and 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 the that those experiences were formative for us that they that they were powerful and helped to fig, helped us to figure out who we were and what interested us and um, and I think that's still a, a, um, those memories of childhood that many of us have are a great resource um, and I you know uh, I, I think they're well worth spending the time to revisit and it's and it's not mere nostalgia to do that because that reminding ourselves of those experiences reminds us of what part of a rounded and balanced childhood is all about and it is about you know everyday freedom and expanding children's horizons yeah beautiful perspective and uh, and one that um, many people are t- starting as you said to take on board again which is really great so um how do people find more about what you do tim and the great resources and work that you do well, um, my, I, I, my website is rethinkingchildhood.com and uh, you'll find uh, I try and you know, write uh, on that once a week, uh, put up blog posts, I share information on Twitter and Facebook and you can find out um, how to hook up, hook up with me online um, and find my writings and reports. Um, all of it's on rethinkingchildhood.com and I'm, I'm really keen to, to get you know, my um, to engage with people and share information and, and, and get conversations going. So so that rethinkingchildhood.com is the place to head. Excellent. And there's some great resources, as you said, and, and some really great conversations and stimulating things to think about on there. I've spent quite a lot of time on your website, so um, and I'm sure I will uh, in coming in coming years. Um, so thank you, Tim, so much for taking the time to chat with me. And, and I know your great tips and your insights you've shared will help they'll certainly help me but they'll help so many people as well and in helping our children to grow and to um, manage risk and to you know know themselves a little better and and for us to um for us to maybe take a little bit of pressure off ourselves as parents and let our kids uh, roam a little more free range as well so thank you so much it's been a pleasure well thanks for listening to my interview with tim gill i hope you enjoyed it i love talking to tim so i really encourage you to check out the work that he does on rethinkingchildhood.com read his blogs look at all the information and resources he's got on there and just um and connect with him also on facebook and twitter Next week on the show, I feature an interview with Gillian McAuliffe. And you would have heard Tim and I in our interview chatting about Bold Park Community School and what a fantastic place it is and all the great stuff that happens there. Well, Gillian McAuliffe is the founding principal of Bold Park Community School. And she's also a key leader in the World Forum on Early Childhood Education's Nature Action Collaborative. Jill and I will be talking about how Bold Park Community School helps its students to develop skills and understanding that help create a community where children
consider and respect and value their families and the society in which they live, where children know and value themselves and are comfortable with the challenges that lie ahead. You'll learn from Jill how they do that and about the three R's of the 21st century, resilience, responsibility and respect. You'll be inspired by how they use their natural play space as an outdoor classroom and how a day of fun playing in the mud can connect communities and children across the world. So stay tuned for that one. Jill is a really well-respected educator with connections all around the world and she puts her heart and soul into helping our kids grow and thrive in the world. So I hope you'll join us for my chat with Jill. Nurturing Nature Radio hits the airwaves every Tuesday morning. That's Melbourne, Australia time. And you can listen to us online at nurtureinnature.com.au forward slash show. And of course, you can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you'd like to learn more about how to get outdoors more often with your family and get some great ideas on what to do when you're out there, you can sign up for our regular newsletter. It's www.nurtureinnature.com.au forward slash play. And so now it's... It's time for you to switch off whatever device you're listening on and switch on to your kids and nature and get outdoors for lots of fun, learning and memory making together. This is Nurture in Nature Radio. I'm your host, Tanya Maloney, and I look forward to seeing you and your family outside. Okay, everyone. Thanks for listening to Nurture in Nature Radio. Now let's go play outside. I'll race you to the door. See you again next week. Little trees need a chance to grow. It takes time and care. They're a lot like us.